right, welcome back everyone to another episode of Seaweed Brain. We have a lot more great content to get through today. Say that so grudgingly. You're like, <laughs> we're back again. We have some excellent <laughs> chapters today. We're going to Atlanta. We're having a Raina Annabeth showdown. So hey. much to get through. Stick around. Yay! I'm so excited to be here. I'm just feeling really in the feels about Percy Jackson right now for some I don't know, I just was stalking the Lightning Thief musical TikTok account for like half an hour today when I should have been making the outline for this episode. And I'm just thinking about how much I love Percy Jackson and um, Annabeth and just this whole book. So I'm really excited. Um, how are um, you, Carter? I'm well. I'm rested. I'm. Have you learned how to skateboard yet? I can go medium distances on roads that are not too busted up, which happens to include most of the roads in Cambridge around my house. (laughs) But we're getting there. We're getting better. Okay, we have some special guests here today, Um, one of whom has been on the show before and one of whom has not. So get excited for that. Molly and Maddie from Fatal Flaw Podcast. How's it going? Hello. Hello. Please introduce yourselves will do i'm molly um a little backstory on me and the percy jackson books um i was like a very casual percy jackson fan in middle school i was not intense do those exist (laughs) um what i was intense about was the hunger games i was like at the releases for them like borders would always do a big event um go off and so i was like i was like i liked percy jackson but i was very casual about it um and then quarantine happened like 15 years after i read the first the books the first time and i saw a bunch of percy jackson tiktoks they were like everywhere the algorithm decided that i was a percy jackson fan i guess they knew (gasps) and so i bought the books i listened to seaweed brain and like six months later (laughs) i was the co-host of a percy jackson podcast i don't half ass anything (laughs) hi i'm maddie i'm the other half of fatal flaw she's my other half my percy jackson journey started in the fourth grade i talked about it on our podcast but we did like a scholastic book fair every year and we had this like trailer for all the books that were coming out and the sea of monsters was one of the books that was on the thing and i i like turned this guy like next to me and i was like oh like that looks really like that looks like a really cool book and this stupid guy behind me was like oh you can't read that book because you haven't read the first one and so i was like uh (laughs) what sorry don't gatekeep books to me sir so then I read um I guess I read the first two and then I read them as they came out in like middle school I think I was in like eighth grade when the last one came out and then I completely like fell off the face of the earth on the Percy Jackson books I had no idea that there were any other books besides the original five and then Molly texted me in quarantine and was like, <laughs> so what's your feelings on the Percy Jackson series? And I was like, oh, I guess that would be fun to reread it. That's like kind of a fun idea. And then she was like, but no, you don't understand. There are many other books. And so she made me <laughs> she made me read the Heroes of Olympus. And then she made me listen to Seaweed Brain podcast. And then I was like, oh, like this is really fun. And then she gently bullied me into uh starting our own podcast so (laughs) 
that's my journey into Percy Jackson. The gently bullying your co-host into editing your own podcast for hours every week pipeline. <laughs> you know those like pyramid schemes where you're like selling makeup or like yes. kitchen supplies? We Mine is well. getting all of my friends to read Percy Jackson. That's impressive. I don't think I've actually like gotten anyone who hasn't read Percy Jackson to read Percy Jackson. I think we really just were strong early in life proselytizers and we, we did not have any uh, we didn't have any left to convince yeah <laughs> yeah so the quick elevator pitch for fatal flaw which is our podcast um it's not a read-along so we can just do like so many spoilers every single episode <laughs> um we talk about it like we don't do that <laughs> <laughs> should i tell them that they spoiled something for me <gasps> oh no oh no I blame myself completely. I did not vet the entire episode before I said Maddie should listen to it. It's all my fault. It was no, kind of like our fault. <laughs> it was it's a really big thing that you spoiled too. It it was, was it, it was Nico Dunn? being gay. <laughs> That's so funny because one of the origin stories for this podcast is that I spoiled that for Erica. <laughs> Like, way back when it actually happened the first time. Carter came running into the freaking... Sorry if you listen to our podcast and you heard this story a hundred times, but it's really being traumatizing. Carter came (laughs) running into the Cook Library at our high school to the tables where we would do homework, slammed the hardcover copy on the table and was like, guess what, Erica? (laughs) Your pipe dream? That's never going to (laughs) happen. Yeah, that was, was also like, how I phrase it. It was not like Nico's gay. It was like, Erica, you will not get this man. <laughs> my email at the time was like, I was just really full into it. And well, my, my middle school email grown. address, I just have to do a quick shout out, was um, PetaMalark1D at AOL.com. You <laughs> said both at the same time. <laughs> both at the same time. Why choose? Do not deny yourself both and experiences. The AOL.com really seals the deal for me. <laughs> Not PETA, though. Whoa. I Erica, really we can't wade into all these random ass that. other fan <laughs> wars. Not like saying, like, not PETA, so the other guy. What was his name? Glenn? Gale. Gale. Yeah. <laughs> Gale. Just, just, just generally not PETA. I feel like that was not the reason I read Hunger Games. I feel like I really read Hunger Games for Cinna. Yeah. Do not make me, a lesbian, defend a white boy. Don't make me do it, but I will if I have, have you to. listen to our podcast? Because <laughs> <laughs> his name's Luke Castellan. <laughs> now that that's all out on the table and I've antagonized the like I usually do in the first five minutes of the show um, it's delightful let's talk about some chapters can i say real quick though Please. when i was working from home at the beginning of the pandemic i would keep my copy of mark of athena at my desk not because i was reading it or anything but just because i like to have it there it's my comfort book so the fact that i get to be a guest for a section of mark of athena is like that's my emotional support book thank you the stars have aligned titan's curse has been my emotional support book for a long time but mark of athena <laughs> is kind of becoming my emotional support it, book, it's I the Persebeth like. for me all right you want to take us let lift off carter okay so i believe we left off last time in the stables with percy and annabeth falling asleep together after having a great fun conversation that we talked about for a really long period of time in the last episode but we're back. It's morning and Frank has found them and he is, he's, um, he has some commentary. <laughs> Frank is upset. Frank is vexed. He does not know what to do. 
quote, he'd never, this is from Percy's perspective, he'd never seen Frank look as terrified as he did now, finding the two of them pass out in the stables. Narc. Yeah, Frank yeah, is literally. highly a prude and a narc, and he needs to, <laughs> he needs to grow the fuck up a little bit, I have to say. Mm-hmm. Um, I agree, I agree. Disappointed from him in this moment, as usual. <laughs> This next, the first several pages of this next chapter are just like Rick being like, they did not sleep together, but everyone is mad at them because they think that they did. And that is bad. (laughs) They are not mad at them. They're mad at Annabeth. Mm -hmm. I don't know if we were going to talk about that later. I can, I can pause that conversation, but. No, let's let's talk about that conversation. Annabeth. (laughs) <laughs> there percy was not getting any flack for this annabeth was grounded percy was allowed to go off on his little mini quest yes and annabeth was grounded she was stuck on the ship even though she's their like most vital like annabeth would have been so much more helpful in the aquarium it's than true. hedge or frank mm-hmm. i mean she can't technically turn into a fish but like she should have been there. She should, have she should there. not have been punished for none of these people. Ugh. These men who went on this aquarium quest together, none of them figured out who the fuck these people are who were leading them on the tour. That's such a dumb <laughs> error like, to get this stuck feels on. Like a trap. <laughs> I guess we just no, do it anyway. No, it feels like a trap. It is a trap. A trap, and we are going in. Yeah, I, I, I really do like have. I really do struggle with the fact that Coach Hedge grounded Annabeth to stay on the ship because he caught them in the stables and was like, Annabeth, you should have known better. Like, that is so annoying. And also, and, like, no one typical. else steps in. You you made a note about this. That yeah. <laughs> like, like, it is upsetting. Percy doesn't even try to say, like, don't ground Annabeth, that, which is weird to me. That's just a little plot hole. Like, Rick was like, well, it has to be these ones who go on the quest for whatever reason, or because it's not Annabeth's POV yet, so <laughs> she can't go on the quest. But I was like, what? Percy would have, like, been like, nah... That's stupid. Like, nothing happened. <laughs> Percy Percy gets away with like everything. He's just like it's constantly everyone's like, we love Percy so much. And it's mostly sexism that puts Annabeth in this position, but it's also that like for some reason everyone just immediately loves Percy. They're also okay. I would also like to highlight that in this scene, Rick decides to also let us know what every one of the seven's reaction <laughs> was to Annabeth and Percy being found together. <laughs> Like, he feels the need to tell us that Leo thought it was really funny and that Hazel is overwhelmed. Shocked. Do we need this again? Yeah. And then we have War Council with Donuts, as Percy says, um, another little group scene. The weirdest and most important part about this scene is the fight over rescuing Nico, which shouldn't be a fight. But Hazel brings up the fact that Nico, you know, like we saw Nico in Percy's dream. He's surviving on pomegranate seeds. He's like about to die. We have to go save him. He's probably the angel in the prophecy. Um, so that's important because D'Angelo mm-hmm. and Jason and Leo are both like, what if we didn't though? Like, what if we didn't? Like, maybe it's bad. Like, maybe he's like, like not a good guy. Yeah. And Jason's reasoning, that's important too, is that Jason doesn't just say, oh, maybe it's a trap. Jason basically assails Nico's character specifically and says that we shouldn't rescue him because maybe he's evil. <laughs> the notes say some of these men are going straight to hell. Leo and Frank straight down, not on a pole. There is a special place in hell for the straights like this. And it's not fun. <laughs> not on a pole. That's of we the moment. Stand by If that. you're listening to this years in advance, which yeah. I hope you are, refresh yourself in the Lil Nas X music video. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I feel weird about it because I kind of like on one hand I really like how Percy is delivering all these lines about how like most of the time Nico sided with the good guys and he's kind of like on the outside of things because lack of proximity to the seven like adds to his like queer journey of self-discovery but also we don't love this like 
It's just I was so just really, really confused by it because I feel like their argument was like, well, he goes in between the two camps. Like, how do we know if he's going to be on our side or not? But it's like, aren't you supposed to be uniting the two camps? Mm. Should, wouldn't this be like the perfect person mm. to unite the two camps? Someone that's been to both of them <laughs> and hangs out with people in both of them. This just, it was so weird. I don't, I'm not a Jason fan either. So he, he went straight into the trash for me. Yes. I, I can, I can kind of see it. I kind of, yeah. I think he did it for the drama. I think that he was just like, you know, I understand that there's actual plot reasons that why he didn't want to like get involved, but I think he was just kind of loving it. <laughs> like, I don't want to GBFify Nico, but he's, he's doing it for the drama. And I respect it. I think Nico is a drama queen. It's true. No, Nico literally is, is is being mysterious for the sake of the drama when he was like, I don't belong at camp and literally Nico divided is very, the earth. That girl, like, Nico is those TikToks of the person who, like, has the earphones in at the airport because they're the protagonist in a 90s movie. Nico is like, like that's his energy. <laughs> Combing back the one hair around the <laughs> That is, wait, now I have to go make that TikTok. <laughs> It's been a while. Thank you. Take a note. But in Kizzy Earbuds, it's not a slow 90s rom-com music. It's My Chemical Romance. Yeah. <laughs> we made the playlist. Please go. Please listen to it. But um, I, at the same time, like, I feel like it does make sense to me in the sense that I feel like I have been at this meeting of, like, people in an undergraduate setting just having a casual conversation about which kids who are for different reasons kind of on the outside kind of marginalized and just deciding whether or not they deserve you know um, equal access right? to certain things to be included in study groups to in some cases be funded at the same level as other students for student activities yeah i was on the student council and that was there were, there were some definitely rough moments where people were like um they would like ask they'd be like oh do you think this thing is gender inclusive for people who are you know like not heterosexual and not cisgendered and i'd be like no and then they would just like nod and then be like well Thanks for letting us know and then do it. It's just, I feel like I relate to the energy, but it also is just, of course, then very frustrating to read. Right. And they also, in those meetings that I have also been in, um, they make the marginalized groups speak up for themselves. It's like yes. every time someone brings it up, like all the heads turning around and looking at the one gay person, the one Jewish person, mm -hmm. they all, all just, the heads all turn to them to be like, oh, like, what do you think? Please speak for your entire community. And I would like to point out that in this scene, who are the people who come to Nico's defense? Percy and Piper. Just, Bisexual caucus. I'm just wondering <laughs> if that's why all the heads swiveled to them. Yeah. <laughs> I, yeah. I appreciate that interpretation. Saying, it's true. And then this happens. But then also in the meantime, like when people are yelling back at Jason and Leo and saying like, y'all are out of line, you need to step it up. Their defense is just, I'm just saying, you know, I just have some questions. They're like, let and me play devil's advocate for a second. That's the most irritating. Can I play devil's advocate for a second? No, fuck it's you. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> the, there are some great nicknames that are attributed to Percy in this chapter that I just want to shout out because I want us to start using them more. One of them is Captain Saltwater. And the other one is Mr. Sneaky Jackson because of the stables. So Captain Saltwater and Mr. Sneaky Jackson is, we're adding that to Mr. Percy's repertoire. Yeah, so, so after this, we have a wrap on this meeting. Hazel's really mad, understandably. It seems like we more or less have consensus that we're going to get Nico, but Jason and Leo are still being stupid little shits about it. Anyway, per Percy and Frank are off to go on their little mini quest to figure out what the fuck has to do with the ocean in Atlanta. 
And I have to highlight this moment because this really irritated me so much. Like Percy asks Frank to go on the quest with him first. And Frank says, honestly, Percy, I don't want to spend the whole quest being everyone else's flying taxi. And Percy has to take a moment to say, no, Frank, I value for other reasons. Frank, you're a big boy. You're an equal son of Poseidon. Person, I value your sea-based input. Please, valued quest member, join me. Meanwhile, Nico's wasting away in a jar. As, as Albert Camus would say in The Plague, do your job. Just do your damn job. Sir, Frank, if you can turn into a flying dragon and take people places, do it. That's useful. <laughs> that's, your, what, that's like your whole thing. Please, You finally found something your you're job. good at and you don't want to do it. And also, like, taking the time to go through this conversation when we just established the fact that Nico is dying in a bronze jar and, like, needs He's wasting help away right on now. a time limit! The ego, it's too big. And then, like, the emotional labor that everybody has to do to, like, tiptoe around him and, like, oh, no, I like you for other reasons. It just puts everybody in a position of needing to, like stroke my my thing about frank is i I feel like he's the type of kid that would like sit in the back of the class and like scowl and be like i don't have any friends but it's really just because he like thinks everybody hates him and so when people are nice to him he's like well why are you being nice to me frank is literally that kid who is like you're hanging out with him and he's like i have no friends and you're like who am i why am i here (laughs) whatever oh my god we all (laughs) we all know that person we all know those people And we still hang out with them. And we Um, still... (laughs) We give them love and affection. Anyway, we end up going to Atlanta with just (laughs) Percy, Frank, and Coach Hedge, which is just obviously a recipe for freaking disaster. Like, that's dumb as heck. Um, Also, I did want to mention that this whole time I've been picturing Coach Hedge as the gym coach from Sky High, and I get really confused whenever they do, like, (laughs) physical attributes of his that don't relate to that actor, because that's how it's like, I see it so hard. He's like, hero! Sidekick! (laughs) Maybe there's a special episode of just Sky High. That would be fun. Cinematic parallels. Yes. (laughs) Absolutely. This is cute. They're they're just... Um, exploring Atlanta, trying to figure out what has to do with salt water in the city. And they're just, it, it feels like the old days in a, in a way that for me is generative, not like some of the mm-hmm. other old day throwbacks we get in this chapter where they're just, you know, sightseeing, learning about America, <laughs> yep. bothering learning librarians. Mm-hmm. It's great. I love it. And then it, it also does feel like, um, it feels like old times when they get to the aquarium finally because of salt water and they get like picked up by this woman, Kate, the tour guide. And she's like, follow me, half-bloods. And they're like, how do you know we're half-bloods? And they're like, we're walking into a trap, but they can't do anything about it. That just felt delightfully lightning thief to me. I enjoyed yeah. it a lot. I also wanted to point out this moment where they have to stop and ask for directions. It's just a hilarious reminder that they don't have Google. Period piece. They don't have cell phones. They don't have iPhones. That's hilarious. <laughs> it's a period piece. I also love how nice the librarian is. Like just, she drives them to the aquarium. She gives them peaches. <laughs> She's just so wholesome. And I've missed characters She's calling like them that. Son so by fun. the end. Rick really said library <laughs> propaganda. Librarians are the best. Confirmed. Ten out of ten. They rock. Yeah. There are a lot of cute scenes around here. They like they're. I really enjoy the part where they're just waiting in line to pay for admission tickets, and they're surrounded by these school groups of small children and percy's thinking oh i should be at camp right now leading school groups of small children oh mentor mr percy mr percy (laughs) the 
makes me so sad too because in the early in an earlier scene he was eating like blue pie yeah. and other blue foods and he's been like staring wistfully at the camp half blood enchanted windows he hasn't been there in so long it's been a really he's long homesick. time oh my god yeah and he literally got six months of his life taken away from him and he's like hiding it pretty well but there are these little like moments like where it says uh he should be at camp half blood right now i also love to think about him like on the argo too making offerings to hestia because you know that that's who he's like praying to that he gets mm-hmm. home safe mm. and you just know that that's like <laughs> hestia's his main bitch <laughs> and they walk right into the trap the kate is uh, keto and oh i was gonna look up how to say this but fork forces i looked it forces. up hey. okay my degree in linguistics came in handy <laughs> for the first time since i graduated <laughs> I could read the IPA. It's forces, according to Wikipedia. <laughs> Powerful stuff. They managed to trap Frank and Percy in an aquarium built to stop demigods. There's a lot in this chapter about Percy's trauma and fear of drowning. Mm-hmm. He, he has all the skills yeah. he normally does. He can breathe underwater. Um, Frank turns yeah. into a giant fish in order to breathe underwater and he's like i'm sorry i panicked and percy was like what you turned into a fish that was the best possible thing you could do in this moment (laughs) why are you freaking out right now and then they all break then they break out of the aquarium and then oh but we have to read that line how did they break out of the aquarium yeah the water like hasn't been listening to him and then when he's escaping, it says he called on the water to obey him. And this time he refused to take no for an answer. Mm-hmm. That was a good line. So good. Also, that it says he thought about getting back to Annabeth and that like gave him the strength to break. Uh. I don't love it. <laughs> you don't love it, Carter? I don't love it. It, 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 it. It's a little bit too much. A lot of my points of reference that are outside of the world of YA come from like shonen anime and manga and that feels to me very much like a power of friendship line it's okay though we'll allow it it's for children (laughs) yes i do also there are a few interesting things about this they like there's some commentary about SeaWorld that they throw in as well where this aquarium is supposed to be behind the scenes an analogy where they're keeping all of these listless animals in enclosures that are too small we get a little bit Yes, that's the interesting thing is we do also cross more of this barrier because, of course, at the end, they're putting Percy and Frank into an aquarium as as objects to be ogled along the same, like in the same way that the Nereids and the Tolkien's. It's reopening that that continuum monster or whatever question that we've been thinking about. But also, my favorite part about this is the corporate sponsorship. <laughs> we get a call back to every monster-based company that we've had this whole time because they're all corporate sponsors of aquariums. And it's just a spe- such a specific reference to the fact that, of course, in most zoos and aquariums, there are weirdly Bank of America-themed exhibits. <laughs> one of those things where i i don't know i it really made me chuckle because yeah. why is the bank of america sponsoring an aquarium it doesn't make any sense no <laughs> throw back to that it. time that me and not carter carter wasn't there but most of our friends we went to volunteer at the waikiki aquarium and dressed up in like full costumes so like i was a dolphin my friend was a whale shark and we passed out toothbrushes because some like private dentist business in hawaii was like sponsoring this day at the aquarium and so we like we were like sharks have teeth here's a toothbrush and it was like 85 degrees and i was like in a full like disneyland character suit very of a specific scenario um, <laughs> i have also done that i have also done that i worked at a water park 
in high school for the summer and the little um my mascot was a dolphin <laughs> i think that's all we have for the scene they get out they escape oh, oh we also get some recon. information that yeah, is important yeah they, they learn a little bit of information about the fact that they're going to be facing the twin giants they get some background on those giants and they also find out that there's a map in charleston this <laughs> that part of the scene also did entertain me where frank as soon as he hears this turns to person he goes oh there's a map in charleston <laughs> frank being a dummy uh, delightful <laughs> yeah and so they narrowly escape back to the ship they like are being chased um we find out there's a bounty on the half-bloods and we do need a boy and a girl to resurrect like gaia's version of mount olympus or whatever yeah. and we're back to annabeth's point of view on the ship as we like narrowly escape from the aquarium and also we know the romans are chasing us um, so basically the next step from Atlanta is that we're going to go to Charleston to find this map. And the map leads us to the Mark of Athena. It's the titular roll. <laughs> titular roll. The gif is back in titular. our outline. The gif is back. <laughs> <laughs> BD Feldstein um, Hive rise. <laughs> okay, wait, I watched, is that, that's Lady Bird, right? Yes. Yeah, okay. So I watched Lady Bird with my girlfriend. And when that scene came on, she was like, <gasps> That's from a movie? I thought you just made that up. It's the titular role. It's the titular role. There is, there no, is no role of the tempest. tempest. <laughs> she thought I was just that funny. No. I have to give credit. We love a generous feminist citation practice. Um. <laughs> There's just, I really have to point up this line at the very start of Annabeth's chat, POV when Frank comes like stumbling into her personal space and is like, we gotta get going. And she's like, where's Percy? And he's like, on the deck. And Annabeth just says, it just says, Annabeth wanted to strangle the guy, but she wasn't sure her hands would fit around his thick neck. <laughs> she is so savage. <laughs> it's so mean. <laughs> Savage. That's so mean. <laughs> I love her. I love her so much. Uh, also, Annabeth is so angry here. And it just reminds me so much of that scene on the bridge in The Last Olympian when Annabeth's been stabbed and Percy just goes apeshit. He, he, I think the line is yeah. like, no one touches her, where yeah. he's just full of rage and that 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 little throwback there and the little the parallels between that i love that shit mm -hmm. who wrote this next thing about the opposite of a shout out <laughs> what what's the opposite of a shout out because call out hedge and leo in that entire scene trash, trash. they're useless and mean for no reason that this is the scene where leo is like is there a price list for the bounty? Because, like, I get being worth less than Percy or Jason, <laughs> but how many francs am I worth? I actually kind of think I it's actually so love funny. it. I found it's it funny, like, actually. It's so funny, but it's so mean. It is really mean. Uh, Leo. <sighs> I think the only time I support the Leo Frank tension is when it's like, make, is when one of them has a really funny. good read on the other. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's a little bit uncomfortable because, of course, like, Frank does actually get upset about it and care. But also, that's the reason why it's so funny. The fact that he yeah. dishes it out. Like, he's so fucking rude yeah. to Leo. But he can't take it. And then he can't take it. Like, he literally, when Leo, I think this was earlier when they were talking to the, how do you pronounce this? Like, Adelons? Yeah. The ghost thingies? And Leo falls, and Frank just, like, doesn't catch him. He's right there, and he just, like, purposefully doesn't catch Leo. Falls to the floor. Like, you can do that, but you can't take a fucking joke. Yes. 
Come on. They're both so fragile and it's so funny. In my book, you can only be mean to people if you're funny. And like Frank is not funny, so he can't be mean to people. So he needs to just step back. Yes. Yeah. It's true. Period. His one funny moment was was wordlessly not catching Leo. I did really appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to take a quick break here before we get back into the rest of Annabeth's POV chapters and some more Pipe of Beth energy. Do you experience digital eye strain from too much blue light exposure from digital screens? Baxter blue glasses are not your average frames. These blue light lenses filter 80% of the highest energy blue light, eliminating 99% of glare. The past year, we have all been glued to our devices more than ever. I might have spent a moment or two on YouTube and Twitter myself. Our exposure to digital light has soared and our eyes and our sleep are suffering as a result. Baxter Blue is also a force for good. How about that? It provides a pair of reading glasses for someone in need for every pair sold. This is eyewear built for our digital age. Our digital age. Wow. And Baxter Blue is giving our listeners, that's you, that's you, 10% off your next purchase of blue light, sleep, or kids' glasses. Click the link in our show notes for your exclusive discount. This is the sign you have been waiting for to invest in blue light glasses. We know you will love your Baxters and we know you'll feel the difference. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. We're back on a moment that I am excited about. So I'm just going to real quick read this on 207. Piper leaned against the control panel. She'd done her braid with white feathers today, which looked good with her dark brown hair. Annabeth wondered how she found the time. Annabeth could barely remember to brush her hair. Innocent or powerful evidence for Piper Beth? What do we think? (laughs) I think that an untuned reader might read this and think that this is Rex trying to enforce a high girl, bra girl dichotomy. But those of us who realize the falseness of dichotomies do... Yes, I agree. (laughs) Harold, they're lesbians. Absolutely. Yes. 100%. Annabeth is like... Why do I just, like, spend so much time thinking about Piper's looks and hair and, like, I don't know. Maybe it's just because I want to look like her. Maybe I'm just comparing myself to her. That's the only reason. Do you want to be her or do you love her? We all have some learning to do. (laughs) Yeah. There's there's a journey ahead. (laughs) I also realized in this, while I was reading this and deep reading into this for Piper Beth Clues, that, like, the reason why we think that every character in Percy Jackson is, like, bisexual is because what we talked about with Caitlin a couple episodes ago, how, like, Rick only knows how to describe characters by like naming how pretty they are like he only compliments them on their physical traits so when we're in anyone's point of view Um. it's like like percy describing charles beckendorf like that gives us some feelings as to what percy was feeling (laughs) about charles because all rick can do is be like and charles beckendorf was hot hot. af look at those muscles (laughs) and piper is so hot her hair and her skin combo wow it's just amazing like so i realized that but also Everyone is still bisexual. Yeah, on the whole Rome yeah. slavery civil war comparison. Rick, really, he's he doubles down so hard on that in these four chapters here in a way that is not, I would like to say not good. Does anyone disagree? He's he's a little he's so blase about it in a way that is just not thoughtful about what it means about the history and how we would interpret it. It's Hazel says this thing. 
So the Romans fought on the Confederate side as a girl whose grandmother was a slave. Can I just say, not cool. Jason's response, I personally was not alive then. I was not alive then, personally, is literally, that is that is the first line you get from someone when you talk about, say, the existing legacies of slavery and Jim Crow. Like, literally? Like, I was not alive then? <laughs> Did Read someone a book. say that you were alive then? Read a book. It's like he was raised by wolves. <laughs> literally raised by wolves. <laughs> and, and then, like, that, like, subsequent, there's, like, like, a quick, like, apology from, like, Jason and Leo, like, right after that line because they realize, like, Hazel's upset. And so they're like, I guess now's a good time to apologize for, like, being shitty about rescuing her brother. They're so, both so shitty. Um, and Annabeth's POV is, like, Hazel pursed her lips. I think that's what it says. So, like, I don't think Hazel's taking that apology as she should not. Hazel, to her credit, never she never goes back to idolizing Jason the way that she did before in 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 Son of Neptune. So which is good. they realize, like, as Jason's remembering that he's been to Charleston before, he he and Reyna had an encounter with a ghost, or only Reyna, um, because the ghost would only talk to women. So we decide that because we're going to meet a female ghost in Charleston, it's going to be a hashtag girls adventure only. Hey. Um, and Annabeth is like, Annabeth's like, Piper and Hazel, come with me. And I'm like, yes! <laughs> Immediately so excited for this. And then there's like a little paragraph of Annabeth thinking through that she has to leave Percy. And I just... I love it because it just shows like the care. She's like, well, I don't want to leave Percy on the ship alone because we've been separated, but also like we have to do it for this reason. And, but also I hope he doesn't feel bad about being left with Coach Hedge because of our awkward encounter with him. It's just so thoughtful and sweet. I love that. Okay. Buford the table. I forgot about this. And when I read that, I was transported back to 2013. (laughs) I thought Buford the table was so funny. Buford's excellent. I absolutely love Buford. I think it's like one of the best editions. And I read this book as a 24 year old. So (laughs) Buford does good work. It's true. With Buford's help, they drop their dirty demigod laundry off the side of the ship to try and throw the Roman eagles off their scent, which is kind of a genius strategic uh, they move, throw, first of all. They throw Frank's laundry. They don't throw yes. anyone else's. <laughs> As they should. His only other Well, fans. he just stole a bunch of t-shirts from the aquarium. Oh my so. god. He did have permission. Also, we didn't mention another thing that he took from the aquarium so is the Chinese handcuffs. <gasps> yes. Oh, we didn't mention that. That does end up becoming important. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. With that, everyone goes to bed. Um, there's a line that says, Percy passed out early, which left Annabeth with nothing to do in the evening except stare at her computer. I thought that was cute. <laughs> <laughs> and then she kind of has this, like, memory of the last time that she talked to her mom. So we finally get to see this fight or falling out that has been, like, alluded to for the last, like, 15 chapters. Mother. Annabeth couldn't believe it. She hadn't seen her mom in months, not since Zeus had closed the gates of Olympus and forbidden all communication with demigods. Many times Annabeth had tried to call on her mom anyway, pleading for guidance, sending up burnt offerings, and with every meal at camp, she'd had no response. Now here was Athena, dressed in jeans and hiking boots and a red flannel shirt, her dark hair cascading over her shoulders. She held a backpack and a walking stick like she was prepared for a long journey. I must return home, Athena murmured, studying the map. The way is complex. I wish Odysseus were here. He would understand. Mom, Annabeth said. Athena. The goddess turned. She seemed to look right through Annabeth with no recognition. That was my name, the goddess said dreamily. For they sacked my city, took my identity, made me this. She looked at her clothes in disgust. I must return home. Annabeth stepped back in shock. You're, you're Minerva? Don't call me that. The goddess's gray eyes flared with anger. I used to carry a spear and a shield. I held victory in the palm of my hand. I was so much more than this. 
Mom, Annabeth's voice trembled. It's me, Annabeth, your daughter. My daughter, Annabeth repeated. Yes, my children will avenge me. They must destroy the Romans. Horrible, dishonorable, copycat Romans. Hera argued that we must keep the two camps apart. I said, no, let them fight. Let my children destroy the usurpers. Annabeth's heartbeat thumped in her ears. You wanted that? But you're wise. You understand warfare better than any... Once, the goddess said, replaced, sacked, looted like a trophy and carted off, away from my beloved homeland. I lost so much. I swore I would never forgive. Neither would my children. She focused more closely on Annabeth. You are my daughter? Yes. The goddess fished something out of her pocket, an old-fashioned subway token, and pressed it into Annabeth's hand. Follow the mark of Athena, the goddess said. Avenge me. Annabeth took the coin. As she watched, it changed from a New York subway token to an ancient silver drachma, the kind used by the Athenians. It showed an owl, Athena's sacred symbol, with an olive branch on one side and a Greek inscription on the other. The mark of Athena. <laughs> so this whole thing is also, we didn't mention, taking place in Grand Central Station. Yes. Because it's coming out of how, like, she's going to school in New York, but she'd go visit the Upper East Side to see Sally because they were both so worried about Percy. Um, and they would, like, you eat cannot dinner convince together. Me, she's, like, so You cannot sweet. convince me that that was not a Shabbat dinner. <laughs> Annabeth comes for Shabbat. Nice Jewish boy, Percy. <gasps> you cannot convince me otherwise. That is the hill I will die on. Blofus family Shabbat dinners featuring Annabeth. That's really sweet. We have not had that perspective and opinion on the show before of, of Jewish Percy. So I appreciate you bringing that into our consciousness. I love how Athena's like, Athena, I haven't heard that name in 30 years. <laughs> The drama wow. of it all. She's dressed like a Subaru driving lesbian. She really is. I it's love true. this look for Athena. <laughs> Athena is a lesbian. Yeah, I don't think the Romans forced her to put on flannel and hiking boots. They, <laughs> she was like, they did this to me. I was like, no, Eddie Bauer did that to you, okay? <laughs> <laughs> That's like, they did not force her to put on that like khaki vest and cargo pants when she was the guide <laughs> at the dam. At the Hoover Dam. She chose that. She chose that costume. This is a pattern. Yeah. yeah. We know, we've talked about on the show before how Annabeth has like a really close relationship with her mom compared to like every other demigod child. And so for this, like this falling out is like really shitty for them. And yes. also I was so confused about it as a kid. I remember being like, what is going on? Like, <gasps> they stole what? The mark of what? How was she going to get there? I was so confused about it. I was having like battle of the labyrinth level, like plot confusion <laughs> about what was going on in this book. It was really emotionally hard just because, because Annabeth's relationship is so much closer. It, it hits. And Athena mm -hmm. is also supposed to be one of, okay, this, maybe this is just me. Athena to me was one of the only Olympians that we read and was actually like, this is someone who has their shit together. This is someone who is yeah. trying hard to make good things happen in the world. And obviously not, not succeeding, but trying very hard and doing good things and like being smart about it. And it is like Annabeth says this a little bit later, but basically like it is really terrifying that Athena Scary. is incapacitated and the gods yeah. that are not incapacitated are the ones that they are like Dionysus and Aphrodite, Aphrodite. the way that they're written in these books. Like that's nemesis. Not, that is not the A-team. Unfortunately. Yeah. <laughs> mm -mm. Unfortunately. I also love how ready Athena is to just throw Percy under the bus. Yes, that's that the, the part. part. Okay, yes. Carter. Mom, she tried to make her tone as reasonable as possible. Percy is missing. I need your help. She'd started to explain Hera's plan for bringing the camps together to battle Gaia and the giants, but the goddess stomped her walking stick against the floor. Never, she said. Anyone who helps Rome must perish. If you would join them, you are no child of mine. You have already failed me. Mother! 
I care nothing about this Percy. If he has gone over to the Romans, let him perish. Kill him. Kill all the Romans. Find the mark, follow it to its source. Witness how Rome has disgraced me and pledge your vengeance. Athena isn't the goddess of revenge. Annabeth's snails bit into her palms. The silver coin seemed to grow warmer in her hand. Percy is everything to me. And revenge is everything to me, the goddess snarled. Period. Which of us is wiser? Something is wrong with you. What happened? Rome happened, the goddess said bitterly. See what they have done, making a Roman of me. They wish me to be their goddess? Then let them taste their own evil. Kill them, child. No. Then you are nothing. The goddess turned to the subway map. Her, experience, her expression softened, becoming confused and unfocused. If I could find the route, the way home, then perhaps, but no. Avenge me or leave me. You are no child of mine. Annabeth's eyes stung. She thought of a thousand horrible things she wanted to say, but she couldn't. She turned and fled. Woof. The way she Yikes. runs away. The way she always runs away when things get hard. Consistency. Consistency. <laughs> She's smart. Athena is so good at this, too. This is the part that makes it seem so chilling to me, is that she is so effectively mean. She knows all the buttons. The thing that she says about which of us is wiser... <laughs> Yeah, she's pushing on her hubris. Yeah, Two things really stick, stick out to me in that passage. One of them is what we were just talking about with, with her being like, Rome happened. But the other thing is like how complicated the like quest is in this book and like all of Heroes of Olympus. And like, it's just, it's really impressive to me how Rick like wove this quest together because we're trying to unite the camps, but then Annabeth is given this task that is specifically like to revenge the Greeks from the Romans. So there's, we're, we're fighting these like antagonistic missions here to like one, to unite the camp. And on the other hand, to like get the statue to like avenge her mom and to like say the Greeks were always right. And the Greeks are always supposed to be in power. So like, it feels really complicated for Annabeth and for reading it. Like, it's not just like this simple arc. Um, it's a way more complicated book structure. Yeah. I also love that it, really drives home that it it's like waving a flag and saying pay attention to Annabeth's relationship with Jason, Hazel and Frank. Mm. Because they make it very clear that the children of Athena are the ones who determine if the Greeks get along with the Romans. And Annabeth mm. is the one child of Athena. So her relationship with specifically these three people, not even well no, because Reyna. So how she interacts with Reyna, Jason, like that, it's a very small group. I think that's like putting a big flashing arrow on it and saying, pay attention to how these relationships go throughout Reyna. the box. Reyna. Yeah, definitely. That's so <laughs> it cool. just gives me chills. I, I'm reminded specifically of Michelle Yeoh and Crazy Rich Asians. That is a performance that lives with me forever. Every time Athena does anything, moment, this is what Carter thinks about. Valid. <laughs> I also want to be, okay, in our fan cast, I said that she should be Hera, but just the, like, this specific moment, does this not give you, you will never be enough on the staircase? Yeah, of course. Like, that is the performance that I think of when I think about this moment. And also, somebody give Annabeth a hug, please. I was just going to say, the fact that this, this happened and she hasn't told anyone, she hasn't even told Percy this happened yet. Because that's how, like, scary this was for her. And she doesn't yeah. know what to make of it still. And because she runs away from everything and represses shit until she can figure out what it is, she, like, hasn't spoken a word about it. I think something really interesting is that Annabeth has so much emotion. She, her entire POV is just full of her feeling things very strongly. Yes. And everybody else's POV, you don't see that at all. She covers it so well. 
And there's that line yeah. between her and Reyna where she's like kind of admiring or noticing that in Reyna. Mm -hmm. So whatever kind lesbian can explain to me what that means in her birth chart like somehow explain yeah. that to me but that mm -hmm. is so key to her character I think mm -hmm. I completely completely agree Frank comes into her room um kind of snaps her out of this memory important thing we find out that her invisible hat her invisibility hat is like not working ever since this fallout which is also crazy because that was like her one super special gift that was her one super special thing frank basically comes in and asks to have chinese handcuffs explained to him and in the book they portray it as sort of cute like frank looking to annabeth for guidance and sort of deferring to her I find it a little bit irritating <laughs> surprise Somebody, google google is around please is it <laughs> it's, it's I, not it's really not <laughs> Annabeth has a computer. Surely someone else must also have a computer, please. If they don't, someone needs to make them for them. Because, okay, generally in life, I would just like to reiterate this, please. People need to use Google more. More people need to not ask friends questions <laughs> that you can find out from the internet is all I'm going to say about that. I think it, it does set something up for the future, but yeah, irritating. I think <laughs> the only person besides Annabeth that has a computer is probably Leo. Uh, so he definitely can't go there to Google. <laughs> I guess. <laughs> that is fair. Yes. That's funny that your instinct was like, please Google, because my instinct was like, why do you need a mom so bad? <laughs> yes. I, I like the metaphor, though. <laughs> Me too. We are being reminded again, this is one of Rick's favorite recurring themes, that yielding is a form of power. Mm -hmm. And we do really need to relearn this lesson constantly. It's very important. Yep. <laughs> I do love, yeah. though, that Frank comes to her with like kind of a simple question like all she really needed to do was be like oh yeah you just push it in and then you pull them out but she is so extra she info dumps on him like her adhd comes out you can tell this is something she really loves is this like <laughs> computer program she did not need to do that and she did it for us pulling out the 3d visualization is so it's such a specific thing but also like that detail really really gives I'm reminded of yeah. specific TFs that I've had. So they get to Charleston. The girls go off for their meeting with the lady ghost. Percy informs us that he's going to jump into the harbor. Just reconnect. <laughs> talk to some sea spirits. Get some, get some recon. Talk to some folks. Some you know, really connect water. to the community. Really get gra grassroots. You know I what I mean? I cannot stand him sometimes. <laughs> Wait, I love no, him. No, I love it. It's too much, though. He needs to chill out sometimes. <laughs> Let me breathe. He's just so simple. He's just a simple Can we boy. Do a dramatic reading oh. of this one line. It's my favorite line. It's on two twenty eight. Oh God. Okay. Yes, let's do it. So Percy hops into the harbor, and then the girls are kind of off on their way to look for the ghost, aforementioned ghost, but they're all kind of silent and in their own head. And this is Annabeth's POV, and she says, Annabeth had a vague memory of that fort being important in the Civil War, but she didn't spend much time thinking about it. Mostly, she breathed in the sea air and thought about Percy. Gods forbid she ever had to break up with him. She'd never be able to visit the sea again without remembering her broken heart. She was relieved when they turned away from the seawall and explored the inland side of the gardens. Oh my god. <laughs> The fact I wrote, didn't I? Yes, I wrote truly down bad, obsessed with him. <laughs> Every other thought she has is about Percy. She can't even be near the water because of the fear of what would happen if they were never in each other's lives. Holy she crap. would never walk Cornelia Street again. <laughs> ah, 
not Taylor Swift. Uh, I had to. That line gets me every fucking time. Just like you said, that she's so emotional. Like, <laughs> she's an attached bitch. Like, she has feelings. And, like, the, we didn't know that until now is so crazy. Can I also just say that's a little queer? <laughs> <laughs> May I just clear this book for you for a moment? Yes, please do. That TikTok trend that's like, things that are inherently queer and I won't tell you why, but they are. (laughs) Walking along the sea. Leaving places because of significant others. Feeling things. Um, (laughs) Emotion. Salt. 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 It's true. Loving your partner is gay culture. (laughs) Feeling things while you silently walk next to your friends. Walking is gay culture. As far as I can tell. <laughs> we also have to take a very quick moment to, to whip the gray streaks. Somebody put this into the outline and we cannot skip this. Rest in peace. <sighs> Top 10 anime betrayals of all time. Saddest death in but the Riot universe. It is it's true. It goes, it goes Zoe Nightshade, gray streaks, and then the rest of them. Those are <laughs> the deaths, the most heartbreaking deaths in the Riot universe in that order. I can't believe they Nora, did that to true. us. What was right. the purpose? Just For the passage what? of time, I guess. It's so heartbreaking. And it gives her insecurity. She's like, what if our bond is different now? Oh, my God. Also, can oh we God. think about how when they're, like, middle-aged and they start getting gray hairs, how happy they would be? He has to. I feel like it's not Ken, but I imagine him dying it back. Like, he has to just recreate the gray streak, right? Like, oh yes. it's really they easy. You could bleach it. <laughs> Yes. This is yes. so funny watching you guys go crazy over this because I have zero thoughts or emotions on the gray streak. <laughs> All the fan artists, this is important. All the fan artists, keep it in. You will never find yeah. a Percival mm-hmm. fan art without the gray streak in it if it is hand drawn. If it is if it is of any quality whatsoever. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Okay. We're getting more Annabeth internal monologue as we're walking off to to meet this woman. <laughs> Annabeth's thinking through the Nico thing and she is relaying this thing oh. again. Everyone this book is convinced that Nico has a crush on Annabeth, including Annabeth. The way I laugh. Straight culture is strong sometimes, I guess. I don't. <laughs> the way I laugh is so, the fact she thinks that Nico has a crush on her. <laughs> it's just because you're with Percy all the time. <laughs> I I don't understand like why people think like other people have a crush on them. Like I know Annabeth is like fictional and like this is just like a commentary, maybe like a little joke. But like how do you how do you think people like like you or how can you tell if someone does? I'm asking for personal reasons. I I, just, I need to know. I don't really understand. <laughs> The audacity to think somebody has a crush on you truly is a not feeling relatable. that is like so specific. Not yeah. relatable like, content, ma'am. That is funny for Annabeth. <laughs> but I do think Annabeth is that bitch who like thinks that people have a crush on her. She's no. Because she has a god complex. She has a god complex. She cannot be that person. That's the most irritating person. I refuse to believe that about her. <laughs> I think I think the most precious thing in the world to me is Camp Counselor Annabeth. She is that older counselor who everybody looks up to she wouldn't be lying if she said everybody had a crush on her she's I've probably been there. used to the 12 year old new campers having a crush on her that's true no it probably is true in some cases i don't want to distract from, to i feel expected. like i would expect annabeth to know when people actually like her though you know like that's the that's where i hit the hitch is that he doesn't she did think <laughs> that percy didn't like her for like five years that is also true so yeah. the slow burn 
I, it, it's incongruous to me. Yeah. We also oh get this God. other line I'm so from sorry. Her. We can move on. As she's thinking about Nico, there was a darkness in him that made her uneasy. Still, she felt responsible for him. This is sort of mirroring what Percy has. And it's weird for mm-hmm. me rereading this because this is something that I definitely in my head rewrote. I don't know about anybody else. I was imagining this whole time Percy and Annabeth from the get-go. They had this relationship with Nico where they were like, oh, this kid, poor him. He's yeah. really going through it. We better take care of him. Take care of him. Yeah, exactly. But she's saying she still has that, but she also has this other thing that is explicitly like, I'm uncomfortable around you, which I forgot about. I had to erase that from my memory because it makes me so sad. Yeah, me too. I also erased that. Here's another line that we get as she's walking, because there's a lot of interesting internal monologue here. She's talking about how she really loves the architecture in the South and like all of this like Greek influence and stuff like that. But she wondered why beautiful things had to be wrapped up with evil history. Or was it the other way around? Maybe the evil history made it necessary to build beautiful things, to mask the darker aspects. She shook her head. Percy would hate her getting so philosophical if she tried to talk to him about stuff like that. His eyes glazed over. First of all, so I love that we just are getting this internal monologue because we know that this is just like how Annabeth's mind is going all the time. She's like thinking about things and then like questioning her biases. And I just like love that. And then, but then this line about like Percy not liking her getting philosophical, I think the only way I can justify it is like, her insecurity about being smarter than him you know because i think that he loves that about her i don't think glazed over means that he doesn't like it i think yeah. it means that he's not following her yeah, exactly <laughs> and it's her insecurity of being smarter than him. i refuse to believe this rick writing that percy like that percy's eyes glazed over is criminal <laughs> but, but again it is through i disagree Percy's a himbo. He did, Percy's dumb, hot, and respects women. He does not. He doesn't do philosophy. He doesn't understand. But he will watch Annabeth talk about that for hours with his eyes glassy. <laughs> <laughs> will not understand anything she's saying, but will absolutely watch her forever. <laughs> so we we meet we meet this this woman, and it turns out that it is iconically aphrodite venus mom <laughs> that's such a great moment yes i uh, okay i have to quickly have it aside for this line she felt like no one took her seriously as a blonde i'm gonna pretend i didn't see it <laughs> you guys just you guys just brought your hands this is to not your a visual medium, medium. everyone here is ha- have reactions in that silence let me tell you i'm gonna pretend i didn't see it and i'm gonna assume that someone had a conversation with her about this at some point later in her life it is very legally blonde i get it i get why it's there it's very i can be feminine and respected or that i should be i should be able to be feminine and respected but who's walking next to her piper and hazel i can't believe i have to work twice as hard to get half as much respect like okay just talk to Raina, talk to piper talk to hale talk to literally anyone else the way that that line is about that's what it's for and annabeth is saying it about being too white (laughs) i can't with her (laughs) i mean we could have just said nobody takes her seriously because she's like pretty yes that's a different conversation but That's like real. I, th- that feeling of like nobody takes her seriously or thinks she's smart because she's like hot and athletic comes back later when she tricks Octavian by being like, oops, silly yes. old me, which is Yes, cute. I think there are other ways that could have been fun. <laughs> yeah. Yes, specifically to be yeah. about gender expectations and don't complain about being blonde. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> I do want to say um, there's this line where it says when when the glow fades and we can see Aphrodite slash Venus, Annabeth, it goes, Annabeth gasped. 
The woman was breathtakingly beautiful and strangely familiar. Her face was hard to describe. Like, honey, you're about to find something out about yourself very soon. <laughs> More for the Piper Beth it's counter. True. Yes. True. Piper is so pissed off this whole scene. Yes, it's so funny. I really enjoy that. Piper not having it and being exasperated as hell and talking back to her mother while the other girls are trying to learn information. Yeah, (laughs) especially because, yeah, Aphrodite is really into this whole, like, glorifying the antebellum south. Yeah, she's problematic as hell in this. War is so beautiful. Like, love and war are always connected. The antebellum south had the best parties. I bet she loved... Gone with the wind, that fucker. Anyway. (laughs) Aphrodite, Venus is like, I'll make your guys' love life interesting. I certainly did that for Annabeth. And Annabeth almost snaps the handle (laughs) off of her teacup for years. (laughs) That's just so funny because like we've been there, like we've been through this and we get that frustration. And it says, for years, her heart had been torn. First, there was Luke Castellan, her first crush, who had only seen her as a little sister. Then he turned evil and decided he'd liked her. Right before he died. <laughs> all men. Why are all men like that? <laughs> it says in why the notes, abolish men. Why did they decide they like you and then die? Like, why did they do that? He turned evil, decided he liked her, and then he died. It is an arc. We do know that. <laughs> From being consumers of fiction in the modern yes. world. Unfortunately. Yeah. This Aphrodite is irritating as hell. Problematic. Please revisit our episode, <sighs> our Piper episode from Lost Hero featuring Brayden from Return to Camp for more on Aphrodite and this like criminal portrayal of her in these books. We didn't need her to be evil, but she decided yeah. to be. We also get this fascinating line from Aphrodite. Every civil war, so much bloodshed and heartbreak, has been orchestrated largely by Athena's children. I feel like we need to stop this and deeply problematize this. If we're just so we're all on the same page, Athena's children were on the union side of the civil war, right? Rick is basically implying here that the North was responsible for the civil war. How? Uh, Sir? They call you it, wrote this book in the Texas. 21st he century. He's from Texas. He would have learned it as like the war of Northern aggression. No, it's true. It is true that the, that public schools do teach this differently. Private schools do teach this differently because of all of this war with the textbooks. Daughters of the revolution, blah, 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 blah. But like, come on. Come this on. is for children. You need, you simply need to do better. <laughs> we cannot have this, this war propaganda out there. Please. They are not coming down unambiguously enough on one side of that conflict is all I'm going to say. I think we've said enough about right. it. We we are coming down unambiguously on one side of that conflict, clearly. But we are also going to move on. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'm also left wondering during this whole conversation, because Aphrodite isn't the one who's going to give us the map. Like, Annabeth still has to go and, like, literally find the map. We're just here to have this conversation with Aphrodite for her to say a bunch of problematic shit. And I'm still left wondering, like, what did Annabeth, what did Aphrodite say to Reyna? Because after this encounter, Jason was like... I we do like, find out, right? It's, yeah, we do. I, I reread these but, books a few months ago, but okay, yes. <laughs> Reyna, like, Reyna was never the same to Jason after this conversation. So I'm just like, what did they talk about? Like, Which is also kind of weird because this conversation, like, Aphrodite's just kind of, you know, she's being generally problematic, but she's not spilling tea or anything. <laughs> Yeah, it's just very random. Um, because then when they leave her after talking about like the mark of Athena and stuff like that, now everything is going down. Like this is just a weird little pit stop that we thought was important but didn't end up being important. Because then we have the battle at Fort Sumter. 
Rick really said, did you, did you notice that I like the Civil War? Did you notice parallels to the Civil War? <laughs> okay. So after this conversation, Athena says, go to Fort Sumter, get the scroll. They're on their way back. And they, who do they run into but Octavian? Leading, sort of, the Roman army there to come intercept them. <sighs> Shit's going down. At first, Octavian's just leading the charge. He informs us very delightfully, this fucking evil little twink. We have wax in our ears. Standard procedure for battling evil sirens. Fuck you. Fuck you. I... Did someone ask? You little... Sometimes I do become homophobic. There are some moments where I just hear someone say words and I'm like, you... You think you're Charlie XCX? But you're not. Charlie kind of a little homophobia as a tree. Ma'am, you're not fierce. It's really true, though. It really is. Like... Thank you for being brave and saying that. I'll say it again. <laughs> if any of you twins want to catch me outside, no, you don't. <laughs> <laughs> wow, Carter is throwing hands today. Okay. So, Carter, I'll give everyone your address in Cambridge and they can come find you. Because apparently all of our listeners are localized in Apparently all of our listeners are in the greater Boston area. And they so if you would like you. to have a physical fight with Carter... We can make that happen. But also don't, because we all know I'm right. Come on. Mm-hmm. Anyway, after this delightful little fucking piece of gay misogyny. <laughs> we have one of the best moments in this book, I am. Don't even talk to me. Okay, I'm going to read it. It's page 238. She needed help, some kind of distress signal to Coach Hedge, or even better, Percy. Well, Octavian demanded. His two friends brandished their swords. Very slowly, using only two fingers... Annabeth drew her dagger. Instead of dropping it, she tossed it as far as she could into the water. Octavian made a squeaking sound. (laughs) What was that for? I didn't say toss it. That could have been evidence or spoils of war. Annabeth tried for a dumb blonde smile. Like, oh silly me. Nobody who knew her would have been fooled. But Octavian seemed to buy it. He huffed in exasperation. You other two, he pointed his blade at Hazel and Piper. Put your weapons on the dock. No funny biz... All around the Romans, Charleston Harbor erupted like a Las Vegas fountain Here putting we go. on a show. When the wall of seawater subsided, the three Romans were in the bay, spluttering and frantically trying to stay afloat in their armor. Percy stood on the dock, holding Annabeth's dagger. You dropped this, he said. Totally poker face. <laughs> oh, God damn it. And then they like proceed to like make out, and Hazel's like, guys, come on. <laughs> It's both so cool and so delightful, but I think we do need to pause here and be like, this is a three-on-three battle, (laughs) ma'am. You could have taken them. Yes, yes. I want to talk about that. Because is it weird? Because these three girls could have taken them and like we they we shouldn't they shouldn't have felt the need to call on Percy? Or is it like empowering in another way because they were like, listen, we're not the best on the battlefield. So let's just call in Percy and ask for help. What I think it is is um hot. (laughs) <laughs> yeah there is there is that it is true it's true yeah. and it, it, it's an iconic annabeth moment too it's not just per- percy's amazing in this that you drop this iconic line but annabeth's performance in this is excellent that Pulling is the dagger out with two fingers and tossing it fingers? as far as she can that is femme queen performance <laughs> she understood the category and she she literally served tens she all served <laughs> <laughs> anyway so they do that they they get back onto the ship. They're driving the ship over to Fort Sumter to retrieve the map. And also they're sending out the signals. Annabeth's yelling at everybody, trying to coordinate things. Boss, in charge. Love Girl that boss. for her. H-B-I-C. <laughs> Coach Hedge, of course, 
has to immediately sabotage them and shoot a flaming arrow at Frank as they're returning to the ship. <laughs> Just to make things hard. This is actually, I keep saying I hate Coach Hedge, but it's also so some of these scenes are very funny to me. Not the jokes, but the incompetence from Coach Hedge is actually funny sometimes. Also, please fire more flaming arrows at Frank. Like... <laughs> Yeah, part of me thinks it was on purpose. I don't. He already we already established he doesn't like Leo and Jason, and now he's shooting at yeah. Frank. So I don't blame him, honestly. Maddie, you're right. Maybe Coach Hedge is actually an ally. <laughs> we have to consider this. Maybe Coach Hedge, this is his form of feminist reparations for what he did to Annabeth. <laughs> so, so this leads us, of course, to the actual battle at Fort Sumter. The ship arrives in there. Annabeth jumps off. Frank and Leo and Jason are fighting their way through the Romans and also the tourists trying to make their way back to the boat as Annabeth is retrieving. I found the scene a little not super exciting and well written, to be honest. This little part where the spiders come out and she's like, oh, oh yeah. I'm getting over my fear. I'm reminded of my stepmother anxieties. Mm-mm. I will not allow this slander. This is an iconic scene. <gasps> okay, okay. With the spiders? Not iconic like spiders? in a good way, but this is so pivotal to her character. Like, Maddie and I have talked about this in Fatal Flaw, mm. because in The Titan's Curse, we talk about Annabeth's stepmom so much, and mm-hmm. we get yeah. Percy's perspective on them. Like, Percy shows mm-hmm. up, and the stepmom, who does not have a name, by the way, have we have you guys discussed this? She does not have a name on the, the Riordanverse wiki. Her name is Mrs. Chase. As mm. a quick side note. But all That's of that is fed through Percy's perspective, which like all the books are, but we we don't see Annabeth and her stepmom one-on-one from Annabeth's perspective. So you need what you need to do is read that scene and then go back and think mm. about those interactions in The Titan's Curse. Because it affects everything, like retroactively affects everything that Annabeth says about her childhood. Holy shit. The yeah, first night, really the first night right. she was crying, the second night she was crying and her stepmom is even worse. And the third night she runs away. Like this is a pivotal moment in Annabeth's entire character. I will not allow for this slander that we can skip past this scene. I, I, I agree with you about the backstory being important and us getting the second perspective, not second perspective, the important perspective on Annabeth's yeah. stepmother. I I just don't like the way it's written. <laughs> Specifically, I don't know, the, mm-hmm. the combination of the avalanche of spiders and then the like glowing red thing. I feel like he's done more interesting writing. I don't, I mean, I don't want to minimize this because I do, th- again, like I do love the, the, dealing with the literary notion of craziness that we that we get from Annabeth in this book. I love a literary re-examination of female hysteria, but also, like, I I don't love the glowing target. I also, I, I, I feel the clunkiness in that, like, we have this flashback in this, like, really high-stakes battle moment, but also I kind yeah. of like how, again, it shows us, like, how, like, wild and fast her internal monologue is working all the time, mm. and she's, like, having this flashback while she's, like, literally mm. trying to find the map. It's the ADHD. Yeah. Yeah, so she finds the map, she throws it in her backpack, she exits the ship, and who is there waiting for her? Raina going somewhere. Holy Shall we read? crap. Imagine how excited we are. Please do. <laughs> Rushing off, Raina asked. The Prider stood ten feet away in full battle armor, holding a golden javelin. Her two metal greyhounds growled by her side. Annabeth scanned the area. They were more or less alone. Most of the combat had moved toward the docks. Hopefully her friends had all made it up on board. 
but they'd have to set sail immediately or risk being overrun. Annabeth had to hurry. Raina, she said, what happened to Camp Jupiter was Gaia's fault. Edelons, possessing spirits, save your explanations, Raina said. You'll need them for the trial. The dog snarled an inch forward. It didn't seem to matter to them that Annabeth was telling the truth. She tried to think of an escape plan. She doubted she could take Raina in one-on-one -on -one combat. With those metal dogs, she stood no chance at all. If you let Gaia drive our camps apart, Annabeth said, the giants have already won. They'll destroy the Romans, the Greeks, the gods, the whole mortal world. Don't you think I know that? Raina's voice was hard as iron. What choice have you left me? Octavian smells blood. He's whipped the Legion into a frenzy and I can't stop it. Surrender to me. I'll bring you back to New Rome for a trial. It won't be fair. You'll be painfully executed. But it may be enough to stop further violence. Octavian won't be satisfied, of course, but I think I can convince the others to stand down. It wasn't me. It doesn't matter, Raina snapped. <laughs> Someone must pay for what happened. Let it be you. It's the better option. Annabeth's skin crawled. Better than what? Use that wisdom of yours, Raina said. If you escape today, we won't follow you. I told you, not even a madman would cross the sea to the ancient lands. If Octavian can't have vengeance on your ship, he'll turn his attention to Camp Half-Blood. The Legion will march on your territory. We will raise it and salt the earth. Kill the Romans, she heard her mother urging. They could never be your allies. Annabeth wanted to sob. Camp Half-Blood was the only real home she'd ever known. And in a bid for friendship, she had told Raina exactly where to find it. She couldn't leave it at the mercy of the Romans and travel halfway around the world. But their quest and everything she'd suffered to get Percy back, if she didn't go to the ancient land, it would all mean nothing. Besides, the Mark of Athena didn't have to lead to revenge. If I could find the route, her mother said, the way home, how will you use a reward, Aphrodite had asked, for war or for peace? There was an answer. The Mark of Athena could lead her there if she survived. I'm going, she told Reyna. I'm following the Mark of Athena to Rome. The praetor shook her head. You have no idea what awaits you. Yes, I do, Annabeth said. This grudge between our camps. I can fix it. Our grudge is thousands of years old. How can one person fix it? Annabeth wished she could give a convincing answer. Show Reyna a 3D diagram or a brilliant schematic. But she couldn't. She just knew she had to try. She remembered that lost look in her mother's face. I must return home. The quest has to succeed, she said. You can try to stop me, in which case we'll have to fight to the death. Or you can let me go, and I'll try to save both our camps. If you march on Camp Half-Blood, at least try to delay, slow Octavian down. Raina's eyes narrowed. One daughter of a war goddess to another, I respect your boldness. But if you leave now, you doom your camp to destruction. Don't underestimate Camp Half-Blood, Annabeth warned. You've never seen the Legion at war, Raina countered. Okay, I'm going to skip a little bit of this. <laughs> you see? You see, Raina said bitterly. The spear is thrown. Our people are at war. Not if I succeed, Annabeth said. Raina's expression looked the same as it had at Camp Jupiter when she had realized that Jason had found another girl. The Praetor was too alone, too bitter, and betrayed to believe anything could go right for her ever again. Annabeth waited for her to attack. Instead, Raina flicked her hand. The metal dogs backed away. Annabeth Chase, she said. When we meet again, we will be enemies on the field of battle. The Praetor turned and walked across the ramparts, her greyhounds behind her. <laughs> just did a full ass kick <laughs> leg above the head <laughs> holy shit that's power that's that was religious that is leaders that is that is passing the bechdel test <laughs> that is passing the bechdel test deep breaths i'm just trying to calm down oh for a moment God. it's just everything about it everything about this scene is so well executed the fact that they understand each other actually and we get yes. these moments 
we're unlike when Percy's narrating, we can actually see meaningfully into the heads of the other character. Exactly. Understand. Anytime that we see Reyna from Annabeth's POV, it's like suddenly the best part of the book because it's just so good because they understand each other and they're like, it's like what we wanted from um, Raya and Namari. You know? <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's like, it's like the optimal version of that. They yes. get like they're two sides they of the same opposite coin. sides. They're, like they are really making big sacrifices for the other because they do. <laughs> I also <laughs> love that it establishes Annabeth as the leader of Camp Half Blood. There's mm-hmm. been some waffling mm-hmm. on that. There's been some back and forth, and like Percy is, but Annabeth is, but they are as a team. But in that moment, she they are they are foils. Reyna and Annabeth, mm-hmm. and it is establishing mm-hmm. Annabeth as the protector and the leader yes. of Camp Half Blood and the decider of its fate. Yeah, like, she said, yes. "Go ahead, like we have to risk Camp Half Blood for this. Just do your best to slow <sighs> them down." And maybe it's my hubris because I think I can fix everything, and it has to work because I'm doing it. But we're gonna try. Oh yeah. holy shit! Oh my god! <laughs> holy shit! It's so good. Jason and Percy were like asleep for six months and then started causing havoc. And that entire time, Annabeth and Raina were keep holding down the fort, doing so much work. But Annabeth got her boyfriend back and Raina is alone. And that- Stop. Erica is canceled for making me feel things. We <laughs> <laughs> uh, love Raina so much. She's the scene sister. cements it. That we really, if there were any doubts about Raina, this really... Not just because she sides with them, but just she's so she's so good. She yeah. has so much power and confidence and grace. Oh god. But also again, and not to put too fine a point on it, like the yielding. This is this is what this is what it's about. Is her like saying, like, I like maybe I shouldn't trust you all the way, but like I do think that this is the best bet. And the way that she acknowledges that, but also still makes a decision and realizes, of course, that like it's going to be re- like this is the hardest path for her as well. Like Reina is really sacrificing of herself, putting her leadership at risk, mm. like potentially sabotaging Rome, sort of betraying the Legion at this moment. What a queen! What a note to end this episode on. Yeah, because after that, Piper pulls up, and we're off. We're heading to the ancient lands. Euro trip. <laughs> <laughs> Ready for their study abroad in Barcelona. (laughs) I love treating these books like they're like fun high school fun trips. Like (laughs) they went to the aquarium and now they're going to study abroad. Their junior year of high school. So much sightseeing. I have been to Atlanta, by the way. I've been to the aquarium. It is a very nice aquarium. But the real star of the show is the world of Coca-Cola. Right across the street, it is a museum about Coca-Cola. It's a capitalist nightmare. That kind of screams Western civilization. (laughs) Yeah. There's a vault. That's like one of the like exhibits, one of the attractions at the world of Coca-Cola, is that there's a vault that supposedly like contains the secret recipe to Coca-Cola. They could have done so much with that. That should have been where the where the map was. (gasps) Oh, That's so cool. Wait, or that's Mr. Like D. Rick would have gone to have his little Literally Civil War Mr. D. Yeah, Mr. D could have been there. But then, we, yeah, we would have had to sidestep Rick's favorite war. <laughs> he just couldn't pass up the opportunity. <sighs> well, uh, this is the first time we've recorded a two-hour episode in a long time. So thank you guys. For it's been fun. But we're not quite done yet because there's a really important question that Carter and I need to ask you guys. 
Do you believe that Persebeth is the greatest love story ever told? Wow. I was not expecting that question, you guys. I'm so <laughs> I'm really sorry to put you on the spot. <laughs> I don't want to like be that person, but no. You should okay. give us the alternative, though, because we do enjoy hearing the alternatives. Yeah, I'm an en- enemies to lovers type of person. My favorite book is Pride and Prejudice. I love that like thing. Maybe it's because I just dislike everyone that I meet and then I fall in love with everyone that I meet but I don't know I mean I do like the slow burn of the Persebeth and I do love their love story but sorry Lizzie and Darcy are are better do you support <laughs> Raina Beth in the vein of enemies to lovers yes mm-hmm. yeah because we were asking the real questions <laughs> your take Molly have your opinions on it changed at all since starting your own podcast no it has not changed they are the OTP asterisk. They are one of the greatest because there are so many others. Like Maddie said, like Lizzie Suki and, Darcy, and Sokka. Um, that kind yeah. of thing. <laughs> Great. Thank you guys so much for coming. Bye. 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 <laughs>